Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. So, I want to play a little word association game this morning before we get started. So, I'm going to say a word, and it's kind of crowd participation. I want you to, to say the word that triggers, automatically just pops into your mind. It's easy, I, I promise. So, and I know football season is kind of over, and according to OU fans, that's the only season that matters, you know, that and women's gymnastics, but whatever. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a word, and I just want you to respond with the word that automatically comes to mind. It, it's, it's, it's really easy. All right, you guys ready? All right, so two of us are ready. It's awesome, it's gonna be great. Okay, so here, here we go, ready? Boomer. Yeah. Easy, right? All right, so... We're at Equal Opportunity Church. Orange. There you go, right? All right, so it's kind of a, I say a word, and it triggers an automatic response, right? And, and that's what I want to happen over the next few weeks for us. When you hear the word Philippians, I want you to automatically think joy. That's something our world needs a little bit today, amen? I guess something even the church needs, something Christians need. Like, as Christians, we should be the happiest people on the earth. I know Disney's got that thing, they, they got it all locked out, but like as Christians, we should have true joy and we're just gonna put it in four wheel drive and we're just gonna grind for the next several weeks just deep diving into the book of Philippians. And when you hear Philippians, for an association, I want you to automatically think joy. I was listening to a podcast the other day, a guy by the name of Kerry Newhoff, he's big in pastor circle. He probably has one of the most popular podcasts on leadership and stuff for pastors. And he had a pastor slash author by the name of Mark Batterson on there. And Mark pastors a church in Washington, D.C., but he's written several incredible books. And they were just talking about the state of the church on, in a pandemic and like how much has shifted and how much has changed. And, and prior to COVID, so much of the church was focused on reaching as we should be. I mean, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost part of who we are as a church. We want people to know God. We're anything short of sin. We're dead set on a mission to see people give their life to Christ. Jesus said, go into all the world, baptize, make disciples. So we're on this mission to seek and save that which is lost. The church pre-COVID big time on a mission to be a reaching church. And there's a big portion of you in here today that that fires you up. Like that's how God wired you. We talked about that in step two of growth track of of like your contribution to the church. And, and some people see church through a caring uh, filter. Some people see church through, a, um, through an evangelism filter. And, and we understand that that's the role in the church. But, but COVID has kind, of, has kind of shifted all that. It really kind of has like 40% attendance down across the United States. And so while we're still a reaching church, while we're in this, what Mark Batterson said really kind of with me, he said, we're trying to be a reaching church, but we're also trying to be a teaching church. I don't know if you've ever heard something, a phrase or something, and it just like you didn't hear anything else. It just, I don't even remember what the rest they talked about in the podcast because my mind just kept churning on that and being a teaching church. And of course, for me, like next to being a pastor, my dream job would be to be a history professor or seminary professor. That's just how I'm wired. I wired as the church as being a teaching church institution. And so I just, I thought, you know what, while we're in the middle of this pandemic and, and, and while church is not the way it was 
two years ago, we want to use this season just to be a reaching church. I think we also need to get back to some of the basics. Like, what do you do when you don't know what to do in a pandemic? Get back to the basics. And so normally in the summer, I would slow down and we do kind of a book study. We'll just kind of go chapter by chapter through a book. Well, in the hopes of bringing warmer weather, amen, and the hopes of getting this, I want to do what I would normally do in the summer, and maybe the weather will cooperate. Like, we would normally be in a relationship series right now, because it's February, and Valentine's Day is just around the corner, guys. You're welcome, you know what I'm saying? And normally we would just be talking about relationships, but here's what I want to do over the next several weeks. I want to put it in four-wheel drive. I want to put it in first gear, and we're just going to kind of slow down and grind our way through the book of Philippians. This is, this is what I know. That so many times, like when we do series on relationships, sometimes we're looking for, I don't wanna say a quick fix, but we want the Bible to speak specifically to things. And that's true, and, and that definitely serves a purpose, and that's certainly a part of who we are as a church. But I also know this, that if we get the word of God in us, and we're disciplined enough to live it out, just the theology of God, just the psychology of scripture, it will help fix our relationships. And like, I might not even have to preach on relationships, but I preach on living a self-disciplined life or love your neighbor or whatever. If we just let the theology of scripture get in us, it will change us. So some of you are going, boring. I'm just, so here's my deal, man. I'm gonna work as hard as I can to bring this, life because I really think as we put it in first gear and four-wheel drive and we kind of grind through Philippians, I really believe God's word is going to do a work in us and it's going to change who we are. All right, so if you've got your Bible, Philippians chapter one is where we're going to go. I'm going to do a couple of other things to help get us there, but the word association I want for you is when you see the word Philippians, you think joy. Matter of fact, I'm gonna sum up four chapters of Philippians into to just one sentence for you. Like, I'm gonna spoil the ending. Pastor Kelly asked me the other day, he goes, how long are you be in Philippians? I said, I don't know. We're just gonna go on four-wheel drive. We're just gonna go slow. And, and here's the big idea behind the book of Philippians. It's how you and I as Christians can live a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. How you and I as Christians can live a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life Life of joy. Maybe people have thought, or maybe you've heard someone say it. Maybe, maybe you've even said it. I've heard people say this and use it as a justification to do some really crazy things, but God just wants me to be happy. I, a lady used that on me one time as um, justification to stop, to, to keep having an affair and end her marriage because she fully believed that God wanted her to be happy. And I've heard it said that, like, I don't think God's so much worried about me being happy as he wants me to be holy. And here's why, because I think the end result will be the same. What I've come to discover in my gray-bearded 47 years of life is that when I work God's ways, when I'm disciplined enough to let scripture live out in my life, when I choose to live that life, there comes peace, there becomes contentment, there comes joy, and all of that. When I got peace in my life, man, it's so much easier to be happy. Boring. No, I'm, I'm with you. Philippians chapter one, verse one says this, this letter is from Paul and Timothy. We are slaves. We are servants of Christ Jesus. And I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus. He's writing to the Christians at the church at Philippi. 
That also includes the church leaders, the elders, the, the pastors, the overseers, and that includes the deacons. Going to break all that down for you. And he says, may, God's, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Like most of Paul's letters, he begins with this warm greeting. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, who the Christians in Philippi, they would know both of them. And then Paul says, I'm writing to three groups of people. The first group is I'm just writing to Christians. I'm writing to people in the church, all the believers. And then he says, I'm writing to the leaders, or the, in our context, the pastors and the elders that have spiritual oversight and spiritual responsibility for the body, the church that's at Philippi. And then he says, I'm writing to the deacons, okay? And the word deacon actually is servant. So in our context, it would be our dream teamers, the people that serve, that hold babies, punch buttons. Pastor Matt leaned over during the middle of worship. He's like, man, this is so cool because like on this stage, we have teenagers, but we also have people that serve in our worship ministry that are, I, they're just more mature, like Pastor Joe. I'm just gonna put it in a politically correct way. And we see ourselves as a generational church. I love that. That fires me up, that we have teenagers serving along with mature people, right? And this relationship with Paul and the church of Philippi began a decade before he ever wrote this letter. I'm gonna show you how Paul met the Philippians. That story is found in scripture. It's actually in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Maybe later on this week, you wanna go back and read that whole story. Certainly encourage it would give you context to Paul's first visit to the church in Philippi. I'm gonna put it up on the screen for you. I'm just gonna read a couple of verses. So Paul is on his second mission journey where he and Silas, are, they're out and they're planning churches and they're reaching people and they're talking to people about Jesus and they're explaining what he describes as the mysteries of the gospel and, and they're planning on going this way. But one night Paul has a dream. He, he has a vision that the Holy Spirit wants him to go a different direction. I'm gonna show you that. It says, Acts 16, verse nine, that night Paul had a vision and a man from Macedonia, he don't know who it is, but there's this person from Northern Greece was standing there going, hey, y'all come on over here. I mean, if he was a redneck, that's how he'd say it, right? And he's pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul has this dream, this vision of someone calling him to go to Northern Greece. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. I encourage you to go on and read Acts chapter 16 because it's a pretty interesting story. Acts 16 tells us that they would eventually land in Philippi and they would meet a woman by the name of Lydia. In our modern context, Lydia is a businesswoman that actually has a clothing store, okay? The Bible describes that she sold purple cloth, which was expensive. And it also goes on to describe that Lydia just loved to worship God. While in Philippi, Paul and Silas, they would have this encounter with a young girl who was demon-possessed. And, and she actually was a slave, and the demons empowered her to be like a psychic and tell you your fortune. And listen to me, young people. Listen, listen, listen. I know there's this tendency to think it's fun and harmless, but according to Scripture, according to Acts chapter 16, it's not fun and harmless. It's actually spiritually very dangerous that you're dealing with a demonic spiritual realm, okay? And so she was owned by a master and he made a lot of money by her ability to be a psychic and kind of tell people what's going on. And this master made money from her oppression because she was possessed by demons. And the demons in her were causing her to kind of 
harass Paul and Silas and, and kind of mocking them. Oh, these men are from the Lord Most High. And like this went on and on and on. And Paul finally had had enough and he turns around and he casts the demon out of her. And really what he does is he sets her free from her oppression. The demons were gone and so was her ability to be a fortune teller. So now the guy that owns her can't make any money and he's mad, he's frustrated. And this kind of causes a stir in Philippi and it creates this uproar. And so Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. They're in prison at midnight, in chains, in prison. Paul and Silas, full of joy. Regardless of circumstances, they just begin to praise God. They just have a little worship. They had a little night of worship right there in prison. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? And, and all of a sudden, God shows up. The prison doors fling wide open. The chains fall off, and they walk out and actually lead one of the guards and his whole family to Christ. That's what happens when we worship through our prisons. Amen, everybody? That's Philippi. That's where Paul first met them. I find it interesting. Paul could have been mad, could have been frustrated. I don't ever Want to go back to that town? Those people crazy up in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got put in prison. There was a mob. I got beat while I was there. That was an awful experience. He could have let a bad experience turn into bitterness, but he didn't. This is how he thinks of his experience in Philippi when he thinks of the people there. Verse three, every time, not one out of three, not sometimes. He says, every time I think of you, and I just stop and give thanks to God. God, I thank you for the Christians in Philippi. Lord, I know that that was a hard experience, but Lord, I just, I thank you. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. You're gonna see that word a lot throughout the book of Philippians. Again, this is a guide for you and I as Christians how to live a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. For you've been my partners in spreading the good news. They would take up offerings and they would send money to support Paul on his mission journey. You've helped me spread the good news about Christ from the time you first heard about it until now. So Paul had a bad experience in Philippi, but he didn't let disappointment dictate how he saw that season of life. I know I talk fast, so I'm gonna say that again slowly. He didn't let disappointment dictate how he saw that season of life. Every time I think of you, Every time I think of you, man, it just puts a smile on my face. When I pray for you, man, I, it's just a joy to get to pray for you. And I'm like, Paul, my man, bro, do you remember the mobs? Remember they beat you? Paul, you remember the chains in prison? He's like, yeah, I sure do. But man, the believers in Philippi, man, I'm just so filled with joy when I think about them, which, which kind of begs the question, who's that person in your life? Like, who's the person that when you think of them, you just, they just bring a smile to your face. I know for most of us it's Pastor Matt. I get that. I understand that, right? But who is the person in your life when you think of them, you are just filled with joy? In another place, Paul talks about a guy by the name of Onesiphorus, okay? And this is what he says. He actually says this in 2 Timothy. Like, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed he didn't care about my chains. He wasn't ashamed of my past. He wasn't ashamed of my calling. He wasn't ashamed of me. One translation says Onesiphorus was like a breath of fresh air. 
Do you have that person in your life? Do you have that person that when you pray for them, it's just, God, I just thank you that they're in my life. I just think they just bring joy to who I am. And if you do have that person in your life, do they know it? Have you sent the thank you card? Have you picked up the phone? Have you bought them lunch? Maybe it's a phone call to just say, listen, I just want you to know you are so refreshing to me. I can just breathe easy when I'm around you. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to perform. There's no expectations. Like, you're just so encouraging to me. Who's that person in your life, and do they know it? And the second question is, are you refreshing for someone else? Whose life are you encouraging? Do you bring joy to someone else's life? Do you encourage them on their journey? What you're gonna see over the next few weeks is godly relationships are a huge key to great joy. Paul says this back in Philippians chapter one, verse six, and we're gonna, we're gonna put it down in first gear and four-wheel drive and grind it out, right? I love this verse. He says, I am certain, like I am sure, that God who began the good work within you will be faithful. He will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ comes back and gets his church. Somebody say amen. I memorized this in the New King James. Like I read out of the New Living. That's typically what I preach out of. But like as a younger pastor and just, I, I use the NIV and the New King James a lot. And this is just one of those verses that memorized, like being confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ's return. And that's a great verse. Builds your faith. Man, I can be confident. But it also helps me remember whatever trial, whatever prison I'm setting in, God is not done. And it's not all on me. It says he who began the good work. Not me that began the good work. It's he. God won't quit. Look at your neighbor and say, God won't quit. I think Paul intended for this verse to encourage the people of Philippi. But I'm honest with you, it's become one of our deepest and, and one of our richest theological verses that's in the Bible. I know it was for me. I know as I was wrestling through some big theology stuff in those formative years, that this Bible verse really caused me to stop and pause, and it really formed and shaped some of how I see Scripture and God's relationship with us. All right, so we're gonna put it down in four-wheel drive today because God's not done. God won't quit. God won't stop growing me. He just won't. He's still working on me. Never mind, we won't go there. God's not done. God won't stop growing me. Now, the enemy will tell you you've missed your moment. Now, the enemy will tell you your better days are behind you. Your enemy will tell you, oh, your critics got you. Your critics are you're too loud. The enemy will tell you you should probably quit while you're ahead. The enemy will tell you somebody else can do it better. The enemy will tell you you messed up too much, but God would say, I'm not done with you yet. God would say, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, your better version of yourself is still in front of you. I don't care how young you are, and I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what you're doing in the present. Your greatest potential still lies ahead of you. Well, pastor, appreciate that. But I'm a little more seasoned in age, and I can't do what I used to do. 
And that may be true. But God's not done. God has something new for you to do. God has something new for you to be a part, to offer to his church. Yeah, sure, maybe physically you can't hold babies like you used to. Maybe physically you can't keep up with the teenagers. That was me at 37. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you can't do what you used to do, but with wisdom you can do something new. The wisdom that you've gained down through the years, now you know what really matters in life, and you know what really doesn't matter as we used to think it used to matter. And with wisdom, you know, you know you're going to survive your kids getting out of the house. You know what I'm saying? Some of you, we're praying for you. You know what I'm saying? And, and with wisdom, you know that like having babies is hard, but there comes a time when they get out of them diapers. There has a time where they can start driving themselves, you know? As a person who's lived through that, you just have some wisdom, and God can use your wisdom to be an Onesiphorus to someone who's behind you. To someone in the next generation, baby, I know having these babies is hard. Let me just tell you, there's gonna come a time when they're gonna leave. There's a hope ahead. There's a future. There's a promise. Those kids are gonna grow up and leave. And then they're gonna give you grandbabies, and that's where payback comes in. Amen, everybody? Listen, and, and, and. okay, everybody say, I love BK. Like, that's become a new word association for you. I know when you hear the word I love, you think, BK, I got it, right? Listen, in, instead of harping on what those behind you are doing wrong, let's come along and encourage what they are doing right. Let's come along beside them. Use your maturity, use your wisdom, use your seasoning to be fresh air to them and speak into their life and help them get better. So I, I need to properly envision and embrace my current purpose. I'm gonna say that again. I need to properly envision and embrace my current purpose. Instead of using it as an excuse, I need to say, God, what do you have for me to do? I used to work with them kids, now I'm too old. It doesn't mean God's done. It means your purpose shifted. Now it's your time to pray for those who are working with those kids. Now it's your time to pat them on the back. Oh man, Pastor Matt, I remember when I used to be a youth worker and do them lock-ins. Woo, buddy, I'm praying for you. I'm not staying up all night doing it, but I'm praying for you, you know what I'm saying? You need to offer wisdom to those who are. Oh, I, I, I used to go on mission trips, but listen, maybe you don't have the strength and energy now, it's okay. Maybe you can't go, that's, that's fine. But you can encourage those, you can support those, you can pray for those who go. Listen, because good days are behind you doesn't mean that bad days are ahead of you. Some of you think you passed, and your inability and your failures are just too much for God to overcome. And Philippians 1.6 has a different message for you this morning. And like the demon-possessed girl back in Acts chapter 16, the enemy has you in a bondage because of your past or inability or your failures. And God sent me here today to tell you that he won't quit on you. He's still growing you. He's still working on you. He is still perfecting your current purpose in your life. You love me, I love you. Be real. That growing us is sometimes painful. Sometimes God growing us requires correction. I don't like it. I'm not, I'm not a fan of God. I, don't, I prefer to get to do whatever I want when I want to. Sometimes God growing me requires 
pain. I don't like pain. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer is actually quoting an Old Testament proverb and he says this, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. When God corrects you, when God disciplines you, maybe sometimes he uses someone that loves you and speaks correction in your life. I don't like that, but he's doing that because he loves you and he's growing you and he knows your better days are ahead of you. There is something in me that's wonky. There is something in me that's not real smart. I only learn through pain. Like when we succeed and we find success, man, we're just high-fiving, God's just blessing. But it's when we go through our pain and our struggle that we learn life's greatest lessons. I don't like being disciplined. But God's word reminds us that it's for our good. It's for our growth. God won't stop growing me. God won't quit, amen? Number two, God won't stop loving me. This is a big one. Because the enemy constantly wants to convince you that God will stop loving you. Maybe it's just me, but it feels like there is a generation that's just angry at the church. There's a generation that's just angry at God. And I think, I think because of pain or hurt and, and nobody was there to kind of guide them through, or maybe it because there wasn't a theological understanding of how all this ties together, but it was so easy for the enemy to slip up and say in their mind, hey, God, stop loving me. And so now I'm, I don't love God. I'm mad at him. I'm, I'm angry. If I mess up just enough, God loves me less. If I walk down the wrong path long enough, then God loves me less. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to tell in a story found in Luke chapter 15. We, we call it the story of the prodigal son. The young man went to his father and he said, Dad, Love you, this is great, but if you don't mind, I'd kind of like to have my inheritance now. That normally happens when the father dies, and he's like, I don't, I really don't want to wait on you to die, so if you could just go ahead and give me what part is mine. The Bible says the father did. And he took it, and he went to a foreign land, and the Bible says that the, the son spent it and squandered it on wild living until he wakes up one day, and he's absolutely broke. And he finds himself feeding pigs. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd. And to a Jewish culture, pigs were unclean. He, pigs were the lowest of lows. And so if my job is feeding pigs, that's like the lowest of low jobs that you could have. He'd lost everything. He's living a poor man's life. And his mind had convinced him that his father wouldn't love him. Disappointed? But, but, but don't confuse disappointment with the absence of love. I can be disappointed. I often am. I'm an Oklahoma State fan. I can, I can be a disappointed OSU fan. It, it, I mean, 47 years, baby, but I can still love my OSU Cowboys, loyal and true, right? My kids can disappoint me, but I still love them. So when the prodigal son kind of got up the courage and thought, what am I doing? I'm here feeding hogs? He finally gets up the boldness and courage. Hey, then I'll just go home and work for my dad. He saw in that moment just how much his father loved him. It says in the story that the father saw him from a distance. To me, it tells me something. It means his dad was always looking for him. Like his dad just kind of had his eye on that horizon. 
the horizon that his son with his hands and pockets full of money he walked off into. Every day, his dad would come longingly look upon that horizon. Why? Because he loved his son. And it says when he saw his son, he ran to him. That's a lot of love. Man, something that would make me run, that's a lot of love. BK don't run. God won't stop loving. Let me show you in Scripture. Ephesians 3.18. And Paul is praying for the Christians in Ephesus. And he says this. He's like, I'm praying for you, and I pray that you have the power to understand. See, that's the, that's the problem, because it really does take a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Because we have a culture that doesn't understand that, and so it's produced this anger towards God, and there's this assumption that God stopped loving me, and that's just not true. God will not stop loving Romans 8, I'm gonna read a few more verses. I love this, it's so powerful. Romans 8 is one of the deepest theological chapters of the New Testament, and it's so strong. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? That's a great question, Paul. I'm glad you asked that. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? Like if I have a bad day, is that because God stopped loving me? Or if I have calamity? Or if I'm persecuted? Or if I'm hungry? Or if I'm destitute? Or if I'm in danger? Or the refrigerator stops running? Or the kids are misbehaving? Or I go to work and there's a flat tire? Or if I'm threatened with death? He answers that. If all this happens, does it mean that God stopped loving you? No. Despite all these things, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Paul says this, I am convinced nothing, including myself, including my prodigal years, nothing can ever separate me from God. Neither death, nor life, angels, nor demons, fears of today, worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell themselves, can separate from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed when Jesus Christ allowed himself to be nailed on the cross and shed his blood so that you and I could be in relationship with him. God won't stop loving us. There's a long list in there. Life, death, demons, angels, Persecution, hunger, powers on earth, powers in the sky, creation. Nothing can separate from God. Which gets into the third idea. We really are now in first gear, four-wheel drive. Gonna grind into some theology. Number three, God won't stop saving. That's a big one. And see, this is where I think Paul was writing a verse just to encourage his friends in the church in Philippi. But in this moment, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say that, and I believe he gives us some of our richest theology. In four-wheel drive, I will give you a big church word. The doctrine of eternal security. No idea what it means. It just makes me sound smart. No, I'm just kidding. What does it mean? means this idea that if I give my life to Jesus, am I always a Christian? Some people call it, once you're saved, you're always saved. There's been books and 
dissertations and denominations formed around this idea. Let me just tell you, at Hillspring Church, we're very open-handed with this idea because there are people in this room, there are people in our church that believe that once I'm a Christian, I'm always a Christian. And then there's others who believe, well, I might be saved, but at some point I chose to walk away from all that. I don't, I don't necessarily pretend to have all the answers to that. I don't. This is honestly one of those things that I've wrestled through my whole life. And I realize that I have people that come from both theological backgrounds. And again, we're very open. We just kind of let scripture go there. I mean, the Bible says, he who endures till the end shall be saved. Hope I can endure. Then the Bible also says that nothing can separate me from the love of God. I had a guy one time just say, preacher, just tell me what to think. I don't know. Just tell me what to think. And I'm like, it's not not that easy because the Bible says that we need to wrestle through, we need to work out, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I do think 18 years ago, Jerry and I had our first child, Landon, my theology changed forever. Like I began to understand biblical principles in a whole new way. I began to understand that things that used to feel like heavy, fun-hating rules really were spiritually for my protection. Landon, when he was little, mama was ironing. Landon, don't, don't touch that hot iron. In that moment, to his toddler mind, daddy was being a fun hater because daddy was keeping something from him. You know what he did? He touched the hot iron. <laughs> After that, he learned the iron. was hot. He's never done it again. It's not like he's 16 going, ha, 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 he's never done it again. And in moments like that, I learned that the rules of a father aren't keeping something from me. Instead, God is wanting something for me. And when I held him for the first time, looked into his beautiful eyes, in that moment, I really began to see how great, how wide, how deep a father's love is to his children. I, I've been fired up mad before, don't get me wrong. Yeah, I've got good kids. They're not perfect, but never have I ever. Have they ever done something so bad or so wrong that I said, nope, you're not my son anymore? Now, some of you may say, well, you don't have my kids. That's true, that's a fair question, right? Listen, this isn't, this isn't about how to parent and how to set boundaries and how to discipline your kids. This is gaining an understanding of how big and how great and how deep and how wide God's love is for us. Are there people that at some point in their life prayed a prayer, went to Falls Creek, went to VBS with grandma, and then they never did anything else with it? And then we're at this funeral and the preacher preaches them into heaven and you're going like, they were saved. <laughs> I'm good then. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know if that person goes to heaven. I, that's not for me to judge a person's soul. I just know they didn't endure very well. I'm just putting that out there. I also know that in my years of pastoring and leading people, there are a lot of people that grew up under denominations that they lived under this burden of spiritual fear that if you messed up, now God's mad at you. God won't forgive you. 
oops, you did it again. Now you lost your salvation. I believe what Paul is trying to say to his friends in the church at Philippi, and I think for some of us in the room, it rings true and it rings freedom in us today that he who began a good work, it was God who began the saving work in my life. He will be faithful to complete it until Jesus comes back and gets the church. He started it and God won't quit. Someone be saved as a young person? Decide, ah, I don't want that anymore. I'm gonna go do Buddha. I'm gonna go over there with Mohammed. Right? I, that's, I think that's a whole different conversation. I think that's a different conversation than I prayed for Jesus to save me. I messed up a little bit and I'm the prodigal son returning home. I mean, you can get involved in the whole conversation of free will and we will in moments. But can someone be saved, have a bad Tuesday and kick the kid and cuss the dog? I mean, I got that backwards. Cuss the kid, kick the dog, and take the path of the prodigal son for a couple of years. I have to be re-saved? Would God unforgive me? Can I sin so much that God forgets me? And this is what I believe. I believe if there is a desire and there is a conviction to come home to the Father, just like the prodigal son. And I believe that's the Holy Spirit at work in you, always calling and always pulling you back to your Creator. He won't stop growing you. He won't stop loving you. He won't stop saving you. And for some of you today, that needs to set you free. I don't want to fight about theology. I won't. I won't argue with you because I've said I'm very open-handed with this. I understand Scripture makes both sides. And you, you have the freedom to believe however. But I know, I know, I know that there have been people that grew up under this burden that if I just sin just enough, God will, God will unsave me. And if I die in my sleep, I won't go to heaven. And I'm just here to tell you that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.